Welcome back to the Facts About PACs podcast, brought to you by NABPAC, the National Association of Business Political Action Committees. I am your host, Michaela Isler, NABPAC's Executive Director. The conventions are over and the general election season is upon us. The number one PAC podcast in America is primed and ready for the big show. Yes, we are. And as we like to say, November is coming and boy, is she coming quick, Abigail. Yeah, Adam, the election is 66 days away now. Well, Abigail, you have big news for our listeners this week. Your Senate candidate won her primary last week. And I just want to say how proud we are of you and all of your efforts on this historic moment. Tell us about it. Thank you, Michaela. Our primary was on August 18th, and we won with a pretty significant margin, which was really exciting. We won with about 60% of the vote over our Republican primary. So we have a Senate race and a House race, and all four candidates for those two seats are women. So no matter what, we're going to elect our first female senator from Wyoming this cycle. So no matter what, we'll have a majority female delegation in Washington. One thing I really enjoy is that we have not taken our eye off the ball when it comes to the prominent and important and rising role of women in the political system here in the United States. We are just now finished the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment with the right for women to vote in our nation. And here we are with more women running and serving than ever before. This is one of the high points, Michaela, of the 2020 election cycle. You're exactly right, Adam. As we've been saying for a few weeks now, especially when we had Julie Conway, the executive director of ViewPack on our show, we talked about such a historic moment in 2020. I'm excited to see what happens in November. But we also have some more exciting news, Adam. Today is our 20th episode of the Facts About PACs podcast. Nobody knew that there was an underserved need in the PAC community until we started this PAC podcast and went to number one with a bullet. I remember as we were preparing for one of our earlier episodes, we talked about, why don't we have them that person on the show on episode 16? And we all kind of had a little chuckle if we ever thought we'd make it to episode 16. And here we are, our 20th episode. I just want to thank all of our listeners for getting us to this point. And I also want to thank Adam and Abigail for being such great co-hosts. So with that, Adam, if you please. The Facts About PACs podcast is produced especially for the members of the National Association of Business Political Action Committees. In every episode, we recap the week's NABPA activities, share actionable intelligence and best practices, all while connecting the PAC community. Well, I am excited today. We are joined now by former NABPAC president, Dan Eckstein. Dan is currently partner and chief business development officer for SAJAC Public Affairs. Dan has been a leader in the PAC community with his work for Capital One, Washington Group International, and ultimately spending six years with J.P. Morgan Chase, building their political programs to one of the best in the country. Dan, we are thrilled to have you with us today. Michaela, it is a real pleasure. It's been really fantastic to watch both how you and NAPAC have evolved over the past year. Thanks so much, Dan. Well, curious what, what you're seeing as far as recovery and where the PAC community is going forward. We're, we're noticing, and at SAJAC, we have the honor to work with lots of different both corporations and associations. And of course, as you probably would guess in the beginning weeks and month, month or two of the pandemic, there was a lot of fear and concern about tone and um, is now the right time to communicate and how to communicate. Um, but as we moved into the summer months, and particularly now that we are officially into the general election period, 
um, a lot of the folks that we're both working with and that we're observing um, are really starting to ramp up their communications, not just on education about their PAC programs, but also get out the vote and soliciting even for their PACs as well. In fact, I've talked to a number of PAC directors that basically felt like they lost March, April, and May in terms of their ability to really communicate. And so they kind of feel as if they're actually now in catch-up mode. So to some extent, the ramp up is even a little bit faster than I had anticipated. There was a great Washington Post article just a couple of days ago that talked a little bit about how some senior lobbyists basically were sort of navigating through this pandemic. There is a great quote by a head of office that relationships really are interpersonal and how credibility and trust is developed. It takes sort of the ability for, for people to meet and to talk. And while the tools, I think, are fantastic, and we work with lots of folks that have lots of different tools, and, and they really are amazing, the success that we're seeing in some of the engagement tools that are happening now is actually based on the credibility and the relationships that were forged years in the making between offices and policymakers and their staff, so that in this unprecedented time where we're all sort of trying to figure out how we're working and engaging and talking to others, meetings are happening, conversations are taking place. And I believe part of that is based on the relationships that those offices, that those staff members had had. And the PAC is a demonstrator of that support. I would encourage listeners to check out a Harvard Business Review article that was from July 15, 2019. And the article is titled, The Art of Persuasion Hasn't Changed in 2000 Years. And so it basically talks about how ideas are the currency of the 21st century, and those that are able to sort of persuade properly are going to be more successful. And in fact, persuasion is no longer sort of a soft skill, but it's a fundamental skill. And that is really going to be forged on conversations and reactions and interreactions, I should say, between individuals. And yes, right now, while we're going through a pandemic, and many of us are sheltering in place. Tools are fantastic, but I'm not sure how sustainable that will be in the long game. Dan, you were a previous president of NABPAC, so you bring a real deep insight to the organization and the mission. But I love the way you're talking about the combination of the PACs and the Washington office, which is a government relations function for major corporations. When you talk about those relationships being fundamental, how do we think about bridging that gap for folks who didn't have them to begin with. We're now all put in the penalty box at home, as you say, and it's easier to reach out to folks that you know. But if you didn't hold those relationships before the music stopped, forging them now is, is probably even more important and perhaps a little bit harder. If you're new into this world, if you're a new PAC director or a new lobbyist and you're part of NAPAC and you're trying, and, and NAPAC does have a tremendous amount of resources about both uh, strategic as well as tactical suggestions on how to manage and operate your, your programs. One of the things that I firmly believe in, and I tell this to people that I work with and friends all the time, is you have to pick up the phone. So yes, yeah, so use the tools to your advantage in terms of having conversations and reaching out to individuals. And in fact, from an executive sales or advocacy perspective, you're trying to forge relationships Doing some research is important. Knowing who you need to talk to is essential. Having a clear agenda, it, it may not need to be a formal agenda in terms of the bullet points that you have to have a conversation and things you want to have come across, but kind of having a direction of, of where you'd like that conversation to go. And then I would also say in terms of forging and strengthening that relationship is, is having a 
having some next opportunity for the conversation to take place. Particularly with PAC, some people don't like having the conversation or making the ask. So when they, when they do do it because they feel potentially forced to do it, uh, it comes out stilted and it doesn't come out very natural. And the other person on the other end of the phone can hear that. And so recognizing that you want to establish rapport, trust, credibility uh, with those that you're working with or want to work with is essential. And so as you have that conversation, knowing that there can be just a natural opera say, you know, okay, we had this conversation, we talked to these points, you know, when is the right next time for us to meet? Can we talk, you know, in two weeks, Monday at 3 p.m., whatever it is, but to try to keep that conversation going. And I think if one can sort of step back and take those elements and sort of push it through, then they will be able to establish some rapport with those individuals that they are trying to connect with. NABPAC has really pushed hard on connecting our membership with candidates and the committees. Michaela and Abigail have fostered Zoom calls and communications with so many different folks over these months that's kept the PAC community connected. Abigail, talk to us for a second. You're out on the hustings. You've just been a part of a primary win for a candidate in Cynthia Lummis, who's headed perhaps to the United States Senate. How important do you think all of these NAPAC communications have helped candidates so far? Yeah, well, we've been talking a lot in the last few months just about how important PACs are, especially in this election, given all of the downs in the economy and the way that has affected personal giving. And I think NAPAC's done a really good job of keeping that at the forefront of people's mind. We've said over and over again, PACs will move the needle in races. And I think that's an important thing to remember. It definitely helped us significantly in our race here in Wyoming. But Dan, uh, kind of turning that question that Adam just asked back on you, what role do you feel PACs have played in this election? What role have has your firm played for PACs in this election? My first reaction to that is it's been really exciting to watch a lot of corporations and associations, their PAC directors, their government affairs leads, how those that have been able to move out of the gray, so to say, that really view this time as scary as it is, but recognize the opportunities also to strengthen and forge the relationships that they have been building over years and how the PAC is a component of that, not just externally, as they're obviously supporting candidates during a period of like basically an economic downturn. So those PACs, I would basically suggest that have been making contributions to the second and third quarters of this year are going to be the heroes, right? Because they've been able to continue to support those candidates that believe in their missions and the strategies that they have in place. But I would actually say more important, the real opportunity where for the ones that I've observed that have that are trying to do it well, and it's, you know, some of it's always a bit clunky, you know, as we're all living through this, um, is that they're forging stronger relationships internally, right? They're showing the, the pack. And one of the reasons that I ran towards this life when I left JP Morgan in 2012 versus going to a policy or a business role was because I was able to see firsthand how you can actually control the input and the output on all political action activity within an organization. And you can do that in a positive way. You can do it in a direct way. You can do it in a clear way in the sense that the, our electoral system is what it is, right? So money is a part of it. And so you can act in a strong way that shows the value of participation. And you can show management internally or your members, your board members, whoever they may, they may be, you can show activity and you can measure that activity. And sometimes that in and of itself 
creates its own momentum. What I've seen is those that are trying to move the needle are, are actually leveraging their PACs, not just as a tool for making contributions, because remember the PAC is, yes, it could be viewed as just a checkbook, but it actually is an entity in and of itself, which you can have as an anchor for your broader government affairs advocacy efforts. And so I think those that are sort of able to put it into the mosaic, right, of all of its components of how an effective organization operates, they're the ones that will come out on the other side of this in an even stronger position. Where do you see the PAC community going from here? I am a glasses half full person, so I see PACs as an important component in the long game of how business organizations in particular want to advocate because it is now the most regulated, the most transparent way in which one does that. I do think, however, that organizations are going to need to start to think about other ways to to advocate, not just in terms of the tools, but the mechanisms in which they support campaign finance efforts, whether that be independent expenditures, whether that be certain partisan communications, or whether that be a stronger direct giving program. I don't think the fundamental elements of money and votes are going to change in our representative democracy or republic. And so candidates are going to need to continue to build and market their campaigns to make sure their constituencies know who they are and can hear their perspectives and then vote on election day. And candidates, actually, many of them don't have the means to self-fund their races. NAPAC actually has some great statistics out there that even show that candidates in majority minority districts actually depend on more employee funded PACs because they don't have affluent base or or constituency within their districts that they can always tap into. So I think in the near in the sort of immediate and near term PACs will continue to play a very important role of how organizations as a part of the way in which they advocate. But I do think in the future it would be a mistake to assume that because of basically the limits on PAC contributions and the adjusted for inflation opportunities for individual contributions and and what independent expenditure and other sort of forms of campaign finance have uh, in the mix. And so as candidates are thinking, as executives of organizations are thinking, what's the juice for the squeeze on these efforts? I think PAC directors, if if you view this as a career, if you view this as a profession that you want to stay in for five, 10 plus years, it's going to be important for you to at least be aware of what these other mechanisms are and how your organization could best take advantage of those tools. Dan, I want to thank you so much for joining our Facts About PACs podcast today. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure. Thanks as always to you, our listeners, for making us the number one PAC podcast in America. Until next week, stay safe, stay engaged, and keep moving forward.